0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to EPIC Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada.
1: My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is called What If? Incorporating Scenario-Based Planning into Your Practice.
0: In this episode, we identify the possible applications of this sometimes underused planning tool and discuss what makes
1: it different from more traditional approaches such as risk-based planning or forecasting. To this end, we'll be speaking with Lance Mortlock, author of the book Disaster Proof, which does a deep dive on the topic. We'll cover examples and tools of the trade, which will help you incorporate scenario-based planning into your EM practice. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast,
0: Current. Relevant. Canadian. So when we think about the way we do planning in emergency management, a few things pop to mind. Whether it's a collection of methods or tools or techniques that we use on a regular basis, I think there are a few distinct methodologies that we have. The first one, and maybe the most obvious one, is incident-based planning. You know, reducing incident problems down to a known condition and consequence, and then applying. Uh, logistical solutions like matching a known resource to a known problem uh, and then applying that leadership structure so that you solve the problem. So basically tactical planning.
1: Yeah. And there's also the risk-based planning methodology, which is maybe a bit more common. And that supposedly you know speaks to the all hazards and comprehensive EM planning school that's been so popular over the last uh, 10, 20 years. And that's the familiar process where your research hazards in your area, select appropriate mitigation strategies. And there's all sorts of quasi-scientific uh, processes and risk hierarchies and, and things that try and assign to numbers to qualitative uh, data to try and make it seem a bit more legitimate. Uh, but as Etkin and others have have pointed out over the years, a lot of these planning methodologies really are a bit of a pseudoscience. It doesn't really uh, have a, a huge uh, robust background in terms of methodology. So we are curious what else is there?
0: Well, there is also scenario-based planning, and this is something else entirely. And to be clear, we're not talking about exercise design here. We're not talking about building a likely scenario to test existing response capabilities. We're already good at that. What we're talking about is building out roadmaps to multiple potential or desirable or undesirable futures in the midst of uncertainty, and then identifying what we can do right now or what we need to monitor in order for those scenarios to become our future.
1: Yeah, and if that sounds a bit confusing, uh, I agree with you. And this is why we have an interview with Lance uh, Mortlock. uh, That was done earlier in 2021. So have a listen, and uh, we'll meet up with you after the interview and and figure out how can scenario-based planning be used in your practice.
2: Hello, my name is Lance Mortlock, and I'm a strategy partner with EY here in Canada. And I've spent the last 20 years of my career helping clients from around the world with some of their most complex issues and strategic problems. Very early on in my career, I spent quite a bit of time working with Shell in Europe. And Shell is one of the eminent leaders as it relates to applying scenarios in business. And they took it, you know, in its early history from military, And said, like, we can use this kind of management tool to um, help us think about the future from a business perspective. And so from my early exposure to Shell over the last couple of decades, I've been able to kind of mature my thinking around the application of the tool. Uh, And it really came to light in the last couple of years where we've seen like a huge amount of volatility and uncertainty in the market. Uh, And then particularly with COVID-19, my focus on the use of scenarios became um, really sharp in terms of thinking about how disruption events can impact our business. So that's really where it emanated from.
0: What is scenario planning to you? uh, And what makes it different from more traditional tools like contingency plans or exercises or risk-based planning?
2: Yeah, I mean it, it it really is about thinking about the future and multiple futures. So you're not trying to forecast one particular future, but say, look, there's multiple futures that could play out. Let's describe those futures and actually understand what they might mean to our organization. And so you're you're painting a picture of there's A, there's B, there's maybe C in between, and then saying, okay, what 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 does that mean? What would we continue to do that's the same? across those three situations? And what would we what would we do different? It's about managing complexity internally within the organization, but also uncertainty externally to the organization in a more formalized way in my mind. There's a reality check because you can't prepare for everything. That would be very costly, but you can at least go through the thought process to say, okay, we might not have all the absorbers in our organization to weather the storm to to absorb that shock event but at least we've got something in place that somewhat helps us so it's about being better prepared
0: you know you talked about changing leader and organizational perspectives kind of in real time using scenarios and i, I wonder is that useful you know, outside of disaster? Is that useful beyond just preparing for something bad? There are a number of
2: benefits, and I call them actually input benefits, where there's there's risk and uncertainty. And then there are sort of process benefits around um, strategically testing your strategy will work in different situations. But then there are aspects of innovation, where, you know, you might think through a scenario, and this is a situation that I talk about quite a bit with the Port of Vancouver, where back in 2015, they went through a scenario planning process, and um, one of the outcomes of that process was a partnership that they formed with BC Hydro. So it actually resulted in strategic action that they took that might not have otherwise happened, and that's an upside benefit, not a risk mitigation benefit. So being prepared doesn't mean just mitigating the threats that will disrupt our business, but it might give you a competitive advantage that you otherwise don't have, right? It's so important now more than ever to be aware of what's happening around you in the market, in your context, so that when you see a particular signal that might have a dramatic impact on your
0: organization,
2: you're ready to kind of
0: react and adapt to that those signals or those signposts. I think that's certainly a benefit of forecasting or scenario planning is identifying those triggers that might make you start thinking about doing something differently. Uh, And then the other one is that tendency, I think, for organizations in crisis to withdraw and to start worrying about just themselves and to narrow their focus so how do you identify those signposts and how do you keep them in your vision? How do you keep that situational awareness going through, through crisis? I think part of it is
2: once you've got your scenarios built out. A recent example, I was working with a utility company and we had a couple of scenarios that we we built out. One was sort of a green version of the future world, renewables focused, and then the other version of the world was much more hydrocarbon heavy and we kind of played out these two scenarios i think once you have the scenarios built you're also starting to think about what are the signals that we would watch for that would tell us whether a versus b is playing out so i think it's important to have a grounding on okay what are the scenarios that we're interested in and then use those as a basis to say what would we measure what would we monitor what would we look for that would tell us whether the green scenario versus the hydrocarbon scenario uh, is playing out. I mean, an area that actually I wrote a piece on this is the future of electric vehicles in the Canadian economy. And the team and I developed um, three different scenarios: a, a low adoption, a medium adoption, and a high adoption scenario. And then developed signals to watch. And so the easy signal, common sense is, okay, how many electric vehicles are on 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 the roads in Canada, and how quickly is adoption? Um, occurring, it's it's a great signal to watch for, but you 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 also might look at signals like um, your grid capacity to take on you know that surge in charging of EVs. So there's all kinds of things that you would look at, and I think the other thing that I would add, it's important also to prioritize. You can't look at everything. Um, organizational capacity is limited, so it's picking those key things that really tell you yes that green scenario is becoming real and we need to get ready for that. I'm not trying to measure everything.
0: I I can't help but think of a more recent um, scenario where uh, where basically that strategic foresight or that scenario planning really impacted federal and provincial leaders. And of course, I'm talking about COVID. The experts basically presented the, this is what will happen if we don't have mitigations. This is what will happen if we do. This is our vaccination strategy. And those different visions of the future had a huge impact on leaders of our country, uh, let alone organizational leaders and and healthcare leaders. So I, I think there's a lot of good that comes out of this. And it's really neat to see that in real time. But how do you do it? Uh, How do you actually bring that tool into the organization? Yeah, so there's, and so to your question, there's a six step process. The first step is saying, well,
2: what kind of problem are we trying to solve for? So the example that you used is governments trying to figure out different scenarios in terms of opening up as a result of COVID-19. That's a good framing of a problem. We're trying to solve that problem. We're going to apply this, this, this situation, this tool to that problem. Then you're exploring the environment. So this is where you do some research to say, okay, we understand the problem statement. Let's gather some information that would inform different scenarios that would play out. So you do the research, you explore the environment. And that can be a multi-week process or a couple of day process, depending on what you're trying to tackle and the resources that you have. Then you're going to analyze that information and say, well, what does it mean? What are the risks? What are the uncertainties? What are the things that we care about? And then you use that to feed into scenarios. And you say, yeah, like there's an open early scenario, there's an open late scenario, and there's one in between. And there's risks and uncertainties involved in each of those. And so you build those scenarios and you say the things that we're going to watch for that tell us whether those scenarios are going to play out are x y and z so in the case of the example that you talk about it's going to be you know number of cases number of deaths the transmission and so then you're going to say okay here's strategically what we're going to do as a government in this case and here's what it means in terms of each of those scenarios we're going to stress test our strategy and then we're going to monitor and execute based on what really happens so you're stepping through this six-step process Starting with a problem, doing some research, analyzing that research to say what it means, building two or three or two to four key scenarios, confirming them and stress testing them against your strategy, and then monitoring the signposts and executing on the strategies. And you can scale it up and down depending on what you're doing. One of the things that I talk about in Disaster Proof in the book is there are different levels of application. You start at the kind of macro level where you see organizations use it for, you know, hurricane management, disease management, um, global warming, ecological disasters, and you can apply it to that kind of big picture situation to industry level where you might see industry associations think about the future of their industry in multiple ways and apply it at an overall sector level to a specific enterprise or company applying it at a project level it scales up and down you know very effectively and that's one of the i mean one of the examples that that i talk about in the book is the use of uh, so the american national park system applying scenarios to think about climate change and the climate crisis and saying, you know, if if the world continues to warm, it's going to have a major impact on our national park. So what are the, the strategies, the actions, the mitigations that we're going to put in place should that happen? It's about being prepared for those different situations. Uh, and this is a tool that can help for that.
0: So we've talked about where you can apply it in terms of macro or micro applications, but what about when? The example we were using with uh, the COVID scenario planning, that was real time. And the thing is, it's not like we didn't know that information beforehand. The the World Economic Forum consistently rated pandemic as the largest risk. There were basically scenarios that were played out in, in exercises very similar to the pandemic before it happened but it didn't generate the same action as, as in real time. So when is this tool best applied?
2: I mean, I'm going to give you a, a typical consulting answer. It depends because I don't think that there's one, one answer to that question. It's, it's based on the context of the problem that you're trying to solve for. So, in the last 12 months, we've seen it being used real time by governments, by the private sector, as they try to make sense of a very uncertain situation. Like we're experiencing in the last 12 months and right now a huge amount of VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. So real time application where you're updating you know, your models on a continuous basis is very important. But that will settle down, you know, as we all get vaccinated and things begin to return to normal. I think then you're getting into uh, a more what I would call a a more regular rhythm where you're probably looking at these scenarios every every year or every one to two years. uh, And you're taking a sort of a 10, 15 year outlook as you as you use this tool. But as I said, like if you're working on a specific project or an investment opportunity where you're deciding, let's say, you know, do we invest hundreds of millions of dollars in a new technology? You might do it then and there and say, okay, let's play some scenarios out in terms of this investment. So it really depends. It depends on the level
0: and it depends on the environment that you're in. What are the potential limits of this scenario planning and how might you overcome them?
2: I mean, I think if you're trying to predict the future, you're much more kind of in the realms of forecasting. And so one of the things that I think a lot of management teams leaders get confused of is they sort of use forecasting and scenario planning interchangeably. Like let's be clear, forecasting is we want to predict the future based on historical information in the past, and we're planning for one future. And so if you're in a situation where you need to plan for one future, then the concepts that I talk about in Disaster Proof are, are not for you. Forecasting is much more probable in nature. Uh, it's more of a quantitative tool, a more financial tool, uh, and it has much more of a short-term perspective. Whereas scenario planning is Thinking about potential futures and multiple potential futures and planning for those multiple futures. Um, the futures are probably less probable and more plausible. They could be qualitative and quantitative in nature, um, but it's more difficult to test for accuracy. Um, so I think if you're really trying to get accuracy in your process, use forecasting. But if you're kind of geni- trying to get a general direction, uh, and a general sense of the way things will play out, then scenario planning is a better tool. Scenario planning, by its nature, is more subjective. You're probably going to involve a wider set of stakeholders, which makes it powerful, and is more long-term in nature. So I think you have to weigh these things up and and sort of decide, what are we trying to achieve here? What's the problem we're trying to solve for? And then figure out, you know, does this, does this this does this make sense as a tool for us? It's not a tool for developing the strategy. It's a tool for informing and testing your strategy. You still need to come up with a strategy at the end of the day. You need to decide where we're going to play and how we're going to win in the market. Or if we're a government, how we are going to serve citizens in the best way? That doesn't change that strategic planning process. But this informs that to ensure that you understand if things go horribly wrong, we're prepared for that. Uh, as a government or as an organization
0: and I think it is important to talk about where tools are effective because you know there's a different tool for every scenario so I, I do like that answer there's also probably different businesses where scenario planning would be more effective so if you're if you're a fire service, probably forecasting. Like your business model is not going to change. But if you are a, a municipality and you have to be a bit more agile or if you are uh, you know a complex organization then it seems like scenario planning would be useful because you deal with uncertainty a, a lot more. How do you know it's working? How do you know if it's been effective?
2: It's an interesting question because it's it's actually a question I've been grappling with is there a a scientifically proven relationship between the use of scenario planning and actual results uh, and there's very few examples of that because it's it's one of these tools where there are so many things that go into making an organization successful or making a government successful you know rolls royce for example use use scenario planning to really help them manage in a formal way uncertainty and Rolls-Royce is a very successful company does that mean that the use of scenarios was the sole reason that they were successful of course not it's a it's a complex web of different influences and relationships and factors you know British Airways used it to really help drive thinking down to the front line customer service representatives in a different way and they would say their leadership team it really helped them drive that shell for example was able to mitigate you know the opec oil crisis and continues a successful company using scenarios so it's a tough one to say you know does it really truly drive firm results but it with all these things like there are lots of different tools out there that i think leaders can use and it's about picking the one that is right for you that drives the thinking that you want to drive and, and support, you know, results and outcomes to make you
0: successful. So another tool for the toolbox. So we've talked about the general concepts of applying scenario planning. What about building the scenarios? What are some scenario building tools uh, that you might recommend for our listeners?
2: What one of the classic tools, and if you go onto my LinkedIn, um, I wrote a, a pretty short blog post on this is the sort of two by two framework where you effectively, once you've sort of listed all your key uncertainties, you pick the top two and you put them on an axis and you say, you know, here's one uncertainty and there's positive and negative, And then here's a vertical uncertainty, a positive and ne- negative. And it gives you these four quadrants, which are your four scenarios. Really, really helpful tool for your listeners to kind of think through it in that way. I would say having more than four scenarios, you're just overcomplicating it. Two is probably too simple. Most go with three or four. So using that two by two is probably the most the most
0: helpful tool in the toolbox. I actually really like that two by two analysis and I like that you're talking about uncertainties and not known risks. Um, so often in disaster management, our scenarios are based on okay, here's a hazard, here's what happens. Uh, go practice your protocols. Go practice your activation algorithms. But we never actually deal so much with that uncertainty. We don't. We don't name it an uncertainty, and we don't think outside of the response elements. So layering uncertainties and coming up with potential scenario outcomes seems to me like a very useful tool for your next exercise or, or right. scenario. Yeah.
2: And, I, you know, it's an interesting area because I in, in part of my sort of con- consulting journey over the years, I have dabbled a little bit in risk management. You know, in fact, we did a project recently with a manufacturing company around their enterprise risk framework you know one of the discussions that we had that you know would be very familiar with your listeners is the use of the bow tie principle you know you're trying to think through possible hazard events that could happen and then what are the mitigating or preventative controls that you can put in place to prevent that hazard event from from occurring and then if it does occur what are the kind of reactive controls that you put in place that's a very different way of approaching the problem to what I try and address in the book. And I think both are equally valuable. They're just different ways of approaching the problem.
0: What's next for scenario planning? I often think uh, that scenarios are only as good as our imagination. And that used to bring me comfort, but now it doesn't because uh, things are so complex that our imagination is a limit. What's next? How do you break that imagination barrier?
2: I think the, the, the kind of the next frontier or of scenario planning is is really the use of AI in strategic processes where we're really leveraging the power of this technology to scrub huge amounts of information and data and help us make sense of it. You know, IBM says that we've created more more data in the last two years than the rest of humanity combined. But when I talk to organizations particularly in the energy sector in canada they would say we've got more information than we know what to do with we don't have uh, the level of advanced analytics or machine learning algorithms that help us draw valuable insights so traditionally ai has been used in very operational processes but the next frontier is more strategic processes like scenario planning strategic planning Uh, I think we're going to see this tool act as an enabler around that. You know, the US, for example, around hurricane management are using machine learning now to look at key signals related to weather at a level of sophistication that we can't do as humans to say, you know what, that hurricane that is on its way to Florida, like that's a problem. And here is the mathematical reason and the correlations behind that. We can't do that as humans. Now, we can make the decisions to get ready to mitigate and respond to that hurricane, but I think we're going to see technology enable varied strategic decision-making in the next 10 years in ways that we can't even imagine right now.
0: Lance, thank you so much for your time on this epic interview. I'm wondering if you could uh, maybe give a plug for your book and tell our listeners where to find out more.
2: Yeah, so if if any of what I've shared today kind of resonates and you're curious to learn more, uh, I would recommend that you, you, you go out and purchase Disaster Proof. Uh, it's available on Indigo, on Amazon. Uh, and if you want to find out um, more about myself, look me up on, on LinkedIn, would love to connect or visit my website, which is www.lancemortlock.com.
1: Well, a pretty far-reaching conversation there, Grayson. All sorts of different industries, and uh, I think some of the examples uh, really helped make uh, sense uh, to me about what uh, what scenario planning is all about.
0: Yeah, and I think there are a few things I'd like to clarify in the the interview, specifically what I think are some good tools of the trade. So he talked about this six-step process, and just in case you didn't catch it, the six steps were define the scope and ID the stakeholders, Explore internal and external environments. So a bit of an environmental scan. Analyze trends, risks, and uncertainties. And the uncertainties part of that is what I really liked. Build the scenario and signposts or indicators confirm and stress test those scenarios, and then monitor those signposts and execute your strategies. The other tool of the trade I think that I really liked in there was the 2x2 two two uncertainty matrix. You know, it's not perfect because you are only doing a 2 by 2 but using uncertainties instead of risks or hazards really caught
1: my attention. I thought that was a, a really neat little tool to use. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a nice uh, thought experiment. And you know, I, I um, endeavored to read up a bit more about scenario planning. So. The article I'm going to review today is called uh, A Review of Scenario Planning uh, Literature, and it's by uh, Cherniak Lind and uh, Ruan. And essentially, it it kind of does a nice historical overview of building up this concept and some of the changes and thinking that went around uh, scenario planning. So initially, like a lot of uh, emergency management and civil defense, there was a a military background. Uh, Khan, which is kind of considered the, the father of scenario planning, first described it in the 40s, and this was his future now thinking, which basically, you know, you can use a thought experiment of trying to future cast uh, uh, your memory in terms of um, thinking now about what uh, what you would like this, the future state to be and what it could be and then asking yourself the question, you know, hypothetically, if I was writing the after-actual report today before the incident started, you know, what's the one thing I wish I would have done differently and you can try and, um, you know, make those adjustments now. A few people have tried to define scenario planning, and one of the criticisms of scenario planning has been it's a bit of a members-only club, uh, like a philosophical members-only club that maybe only consultants had access to. So, because there wasn't really a, there's not really a course you could take or any foundational training, it was a lot of self-proclaimed expertise. You know, one author described uh, uh, scenario planning as a disciplined methodology for imagining possible futures in which organizational decisions may be played out. But ultimately it's hard to define. The main thing is that it's not predictions or forecasts, and we're not really worried about building the right uh, scenario. Rather, we're just trying to capture all of the alternatives, all of the possible future states. So let's get down to some specifics though. Uh, One of the examples where scenario planning, I think demonstrated a really, Big win was an exercise that happened in early 2019 that actually predicted a lot of the COVID response and uh, and fallout with surprising accuracy and that's one of the interesting things in the literature is how some of these kind of future oriented thinking systems can be surprisingly accurate this was uh, an interesting case study to, for, to read about it's called event 201 uh, there's a few uh, organizations involved in this including uh, Johns Hopkins and uh, essentially they imagine what would happen with a a global pandemic and they happened to pick uh, a novel coronavirus and uh, talked about everything from supply chain shortages to healthcare workforce impacts and and ICU scarcity and uh, they're in their scenario that again just using storytelling as a thing they had a a coronavirus that began in Brazil and uh, mutated and then spread around the world and there's travel restrictions and and all many of the things that we know all happened Um, and this is all kind of predicted within their scenario forecast and then they ask the question of you know what would we have done uh, what would we have hoped to have done differently and using some of this future memory to help decrease response times and actually make that imagined state a bit more realistic so then you can inform your planning efforts so i think that's an example, a really cool example of how scenario planning has actually been used and this ties in a little bit uh, to the importance of scenario planning versus strategic planning, which from a business management standpoint, and, uh, you know, it's all the rage uh, in the 80s as um, uh, corporations were moving to more of a strategic planning cycle and, and developing, you know, five, 10-year strategic plans for their various organizations. And scenario planning, if you think of it, is kind of the, the input into that process. Uh, people often reference to the bowtie model, which is this input-output. And it, it's the same thing that's used in fault tree analysis and, and other things when you're trying to capture everything and funnel it in and then ha- uh, analyze it and have an output of a strategic plan. But the reality is there's just not a lot of deep theoretical roots here. And I think that's the important thing uh, to be aware of. It's this, you know, an interesting concept and I think it uh, might have some utility and especially when you're trying to run a meeting and maybe you're trying to um, nudge people's thinking in different directions of how you want them to think and a type of thinking but uh, there's not like there's a robust theoretical framework here that this ties into so that's I, I think probably the biggest criticism in, in the literature is just we would hope that most theories have more of a, a strong uh, a root in the literature. One of the other groups that really took on scenario planning in the early days in the 60s was the Hudson Institute. And they wrote a lot about the unthinkables and and, uh, how can you develop the art of the long view. Um, And so basically, it's a marriage of analysis and imagination and uh, uh, trying to get those two types of thinking together.
0: You know, I really like that idea of abandoning causality. So much of what we're dealing with are complex situations where really you can only establish causality after the fact anyways. So thinking that you can use past disasters, past trends to forecast the future, I think is a little bit flawed anyways because we keep on being surprised (laughs) by the future so if you abandon causality and you just focus on what is possible not even plausible uh then you can work backwards and and to me that makes a lot more sense in an article entitled development of anti-fragile methodology that completes scenario planning by omitting causation by derbyshire and wright they talk about this as an anti-fragile approach to scenario development and uh, they actually are quite critical of um, systems that use causality to generate different scenario plannings uh, because basically you're always planning for the last war
1: and you're going to be focused on the wrong things. And that's not to say that we're doing complete like just a uh open sky, you know, imagination, like what happens if Martians arrive tomorrow? What's our, what are we going to do about that? Um, There is, this does uh, all occur within a little, you know, um, a a test bed of bounded reality, you know, using the classic example of the weather, you can imagine for many different weather events that could happen, but generally we know it's not going to snow in the middle of July in most places. And, uh, you know, in the interview, Lance talked about that too, just from a practical standpoint, it would be too costly to, to do everything. So you do have to try and pick. Uh, what your areas are. And that's where the other, you know, EM literature uh, around planning is really helpful because we can pick, you know, critical infrastructure or a certain uh, vulnerable population or whatever you're focusing on to help uh, uh, establish that bounded reality.
0: So overall, I think another methodology worth considering incorporating into your practice. And I think it's fair to say that this has very much sparked our interest. Uh, I think there's more to come on planning methodologies in general, uh, probably a few more podcasts. But for now, I think that is all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Lance Mortlock for sharing his time and expertise with us on the topic of scenario planning. Be sure to check out his book, Disaster Proof. Thanks for listening. Just before we go, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode of Epic Podcast was brought to you by the Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. Many people don't call their optometrist for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications. No referral necessary. For your appointment, visit optometrist.ab.ca. This episode was also brought to you in part by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund for yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Learn more at ecfoundation.org, ecfoundation.org.
1: You've been listening to an Epic Podcast Production a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada, and a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational
0: tool for the EM professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to.
1: For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at username epicpodcast. Stay tuned for more on the next
0: episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian.